Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. So, yeah, we've been walking for about like five, ten minutes, and it's already like pitch black. Yeah. There's often stages to the night. First, there's the weta that come out, and then there's wood roaches, and then you get like a pilliones or daddy long legs or harvestmen. And then finally, it's Geodorcus hour, and that's like the, the magic hour. Kyora. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, Cochlear Kincannon-Dene. Luna Thomas is a PhD student at the Department of Zoology at the University of Otago. She's studying the endemic helm stag beetle, Geodorcus helmsi. Geodorcus is the genus of the beetles, a group of 10 native stag beetles, most of which are poorly understood, and some of which may disappear before we even properly get to know them. They're called stag beetles because, especially on the males, they have these impressively enlarged mandibles or mouthparts that kind of look like antlers. And they come out at night. We are in Oban for our first night going out. And uh, it's currently about 8 degrees. And both Melita and I are fully rugged up in at least three layers of clothing. Yeah, it's quite bracing. Yeah, it's just uh, before 10 p.m. and there are a few stars out, but we are on the hunt for some stag beetles. Melita Bush is a master's student at the zoology department and she's helping Luna on this portion of her fieldwork. They're on Rakiura, Stewart Island, looking for stag beetles. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make this trip, but they kindly said that they would take some audio recordings for me. It can be quite a slow walk through the trees as we are all zoologists, all ecologists. We are all interested in all the different types of bugs that we're seeing. So we are often distracted looking at the weta, all the different spiders, the cool spider webs. Our native roaches are out at this time and it's quite alive with insect activity, invertebrate activity. Mm. Yes, we all love insects. (laughs) Right now we are looking at a species of spider that is the size you do not want to find in your house. It's big enough that if you found it in your bedroom, you would be sleeping on the couch that night. I don't know, it was kind of cute. They were helped at other times by master student Sharon Milligan and Dr. Sherry Johnson, Luna's supervisor. Now, Melita normally studies wasps for her masters, but for these few weeks, she's got her beetle hunting goggles on. So we are continuing our search for stag beetles to help with 
Luna's PhD research. We are making our way through some tracks, stumbling over trees and trying not to lose our footing as our eyes stay glued to possible trees to look for beetles. Apparently the, um, the trees that these beetles generally like to hang out on are uh, rimu or trees that have lots of bark and crevices for them to hide in. As well, as it's still quite early in the night, they could still be emerging from the leaf litter on the ground at the base of the tree, ready to start their climb up the tree, which they do at night time. These beetles tend to be found in little pockets where there is like a very dense population in a very small area. So once we find one beetle, then we go about and start checking all the good trees um, around it. We check the soil beneath the trees for any D-shaped holes that the, the beetles dig into. If you look at a beetle front profile, they do look like a capital D. So when they dig, and apparently they are really good diggers, they make these D-shaped holes. As well as their head torches and multiple layers, Luna and Melita are also sporting backpacks filled with all the equipment they need for when they find a beetle. I am filling out the location, time, date, sampling ID, and then Luna will give me, use the temperature gun to give me the temperature, and we'll use the GPS to, lo to note down its exact location. Uh, the temperature for the first two should be about 12 degrees. And 11.8 for the third one. They also take a whole set of measurements related to the size of the beetle and its mandibles. So when they're angry, they don't stop moving their mandibles, which makes it uh, fairly difficult to, to measure their mandibles. Uh, 2.87. Luna will use all these measurements later in her analysis to get an idea of the size distribution of the beetles she is finding. They also mark the beetles with coloured marker before they release them, so they'll know if they find the same beetle again. Uh, 10.87. Uh, after a few beetles we get into the rhythm and we just, I just start saying numbers. Melita has a clipboard in front of her where she's writing down all, these, all this data um, and they're all in the same row so I just rattle off all the numbers as quickly as I can so we can go and look for more beetles, which is the fun part. On Rakiura, Luna has a couple of sites, some of which are quite different, which has set up an interesting experiment for her to investigate. So we're looking at Ove Island because this is a predator-free area. So we wanted to see how that's affecting our beetles because there are some papers that say that their behavior may be affected by the presence of rats. And so we're comparing the beetles we find here and their behavior to the beetles we find at Mamaku Point and the beetles that we find on the rest of Stewart Island. Mamaku Point is a conservation reserve with a predator-proof fence across the narrow neck of the headland. So, like Ulva Island, it too will have low predator numbers. Around Oban, however, it's a different story. 
Alrighty, so today we are at Ryan Creek Trail. Um, we are currently in the Patterson Scenic Reserve. It's about 10.30 at night and uh, we just got to the place where we know that there's a nice big like population of beetles. Melita is currently looking around for beetles, like living beetles. And I just found a nice big cache of beetle heads that have been predated upon by rats. So I'm going through and picking out all the, the heads of any beetle that I find. So I can do further analyses to see if rats like bigger beetles or smaller beetles or what they seem to be preying upon. Wow, this was a really big male, geez. This male would have been maybe three centimeters um, long if it were not, you know, dead. But rodents tend to not eat necessarily everything at one place because it can be quite dangerous in case of predators. So what they often do is they will take all their food and bring it to somewhere that they feel more comfortable eating. Uh, so they'll just eat through the insect and they'll leave all the parts that they don't find very palatable. They'll nibble on the head and they'll leave the mandibles completely untouched. Um, man, there's so many in here. Jeez. And so they'll leave all these um, heads just lying around. We found this uh, one in a tree crevice. Uh, it's like a tree that has a big hole in it. But yeah, I'm collecting these to, to measure back at home because I have a hypothesis that states that that may be favoring collecting the males because they are larger and may be may have a little more of a difficult time moving around their environment and getting away from predators. Just last week, Manaki Fenua and Predator Free Rakiora announced that they've joined forces to eliminate all major pest species from the island. In Luna's audio is just another stark reminder of the impacts that predators are having on all native species. Oh, I'm not even close. Jeez. So this tree is likely one of the rat's favorite spots to to get some takeaway, I guess, and eat. Because, yeah, there is more here than I was expecting. Luna gathers them up to bring back with her because it will form part of her analysis. Overall, she's hoping to build a picture of where these beetles have been found, what kind of gender distribution there is in these places, what their mating behaviour is, and what kind of morphs or body shapes are being found. Stag beetles are sexually dimorphic. That is, there's a size difference between males and females, especially in those mandibles. But the males can also come in different shapes and sizes. On Ulva Island, Luna and Melita were finding lots of males, and not so many females. Around Oban, it's the other way around. They have come across plenty of ladies, but there's a bit more of a fuss when they come across a male. We just found a male! He is very angry at us, but I can tell it's a male because it has really, really big mandibles. Um, way bigger than the females. They're at least two to three times as big. And uh, this particular male is very, very feisty. He is really, really wanting to, to get away. He is about two and a half centimeters. He just looks amazing. Oh, he looks so cool. Yeah, we found him on some kamahi, 
And he was just sitting up there, probably drinking some sap and looking for a female. So the next step when we find a male is we do, we take a picture. So we want to do a special type of analysis called geometric morphometrics. We are not seeing any alternate morphs using just linear measurements, but maybe it's actually the shape of the mandibles that is changing um, between the different morphs. Like there is a very famous group called Odontolavis, where there are not just one or two male morphs, but up to four. And to do that, we need to take a picture. We need to have a scale bar next to the beetle while we take an image so that I have a point of reference so I know how big the beetle is and so that the program knows how big the beetle is. They'll also take all those usual measurements too. In most places, the beetle will then be just released. But this guy is actually going to be brought to a new home. We actually have a dock permit to collect 10 males and 10 females. So next we are going to bag and tag this one. Or pottle and jottle. Yeah, pottle and jottle. Along with the GPS, the temperature gun, the calipers for measurement, the non-toxic pens for marking the beetles, their EPIRB, and of course a whole bunch of snacks, they have one other piece of equipment that they have brought with them. A cake tin, which actually serves as a kind of beetle gladiatorial arena. Because these beetles, they like to fight over some resource in their environment. This is usually the case with a lot of animals with enlarged body parts. They fight over access to something, oftentimes females. Think deer, how uh, male deer with, with really big antlers will fight and ram into each other. That's very similar to what happens with stag beetles. But uh, we brought the cake tin because we wanted to create like a little arena for them to fight in or to at least interact in. And so we put the cake tin down, we put two, two males in there, and then we just watch what happens for 15, 20, 30 minutes and see if they interact. We also record them so that we can later go back through the footage and determine whether they follow any specific behaviors or whether they have any kind of like measuring up. A lot of animals with enlarged body parts will fight, but it's also quite dangerous to do so. And so if they crack a mandible or break a mandible or get hurt or damaged or in any way um, suffer, then that's going to live with them for the rest of their life. And so um, that means that they're not going to be able to mate. They're not going to be able to pass on their genes. They're not going to be able to do a lot of things that they need to do. And so what often happens is these beetles will just kind of sit there and measure each other up and measure themselves. Then they will determine whether they want to actually fight. And so my hypothesis is that as they get closer in mandible length or body size or weight, that they will fight more than when they are very, very different in those categories. Luna was on Rakiora Stewart Island for about a month, spending each night in the bush searching for beetles. Alrighty, so today is our last night on Stewart Island. Yay! We've... We are so tired. <laughs> Yeah, we've been uh, very tired here for the last week or so. We have been doing the the 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Hang on, I'm going to do that again. Uh, we've been doing the 10 a.m. 
Oh, we've been doing the 2 p.m. to, uh, why am I so bad at this? This is proof that we are tired. She means 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. But yeah, fieldwork like this will do that to you, I guess. And that wasn't Luna's only fieldwork excursion. Across the summer and autumn months, she visited different areas along the west and south coasts of the South Island. These beetles have been found previously across quite a wide area in the South Island, as far north as Karamea on the west coast down to Tapa Nui in the south. After her fieldwork is done, I caught up with her at the zoology department to check in on how it went, to see the beetles she collected around Oban, and to find out what comes next. Okay, so this is the animal rearing facility. Uh, there's a whole bunch of rooms that contain all kinds of different animals, from frogs to zebrafish to, like, cockroaches and crickets. Um, but we're not really going to go in there. Um, where we are going to go is... Out here briefly. So these are uh, the containers where my beetles are. They have like a little mesh green so that sunlight doesn't like hit them too directly because they live underneath a forest canopy and we don't want them to just be like baking in there. We also have all this tubing, uh, which is uh, an irrigation setup so that we don't have to go through and like spray each one of them like a hundred times. Um, so they like it damp as well. Yeah, yeah. They live in like rainforests. So they really like a lot of moisture. And I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to find a beetle or two underneath here. We put like lots of wood on the soil. We took the soil from Stewart Island um, because there are sometimes soil microbes and some things in the soil that really help the beetles live. And then all the wood, they, they also like the, to lay their eggs right at like the interface of like wood and soil. And so we try to give that environment to them. Uh, but we can take this inside. So how many beetles are inside there? Uh, currently there are three beetles. We put the details on the outside. There are two males and one female. Um, and then these are the, where we found them. So this was Golden Bay, Golden Bay and Ryan Creek. And here's one. So here's a little male. It's big. Yeah. So this one would be gall 16 um, because of the, the dots on it. We make these dots so we can identify which ones they are. Um, and so you can very clearly see that it's that the red dots. Yeah, they look like ladybug dots, but you guys have put those on. Yes. Yeah. So usually it's a little bit harder to find them because they tend to like to dig deep in the soil. But yeah, now it's waking up. It's starting to like heat up again because the soil is actually quite damp and cold. Um, so they they start moving a little bit slower. And these beetles do not move very quickly on their best day, but- He, he is moving very slowly. When you picked him up first, I thought maybe he had bit the dust, but no, he's he is moving, but yeah, like inching forward. Yeah. Even when they are like going to a destination, they're still pretty slow. So how many beetles did you take from around Oban? Uh, we took 10 males and 10 females. We found a lot of females around Oban. We found over 170 in two weeks. 
and we found 13 males. We actually had to stop at a certain point looking for females because we we're like, if we're spending too much time measuring these, we need to focus exclusively on finding like a few of the males. And was that very surprising? Yeah, a lot of times when you have um, like stag beetles or things that have like these exaggerated sexually selected traits, you often find a male bias population where there are more males than females because the males will fight over mating opportunities. So that's what I was expecting to find our first year when we went out there. And we found the exact opposite trend. We found almost exclusively um, females and then the occasional male, which is very strange. So yes. <laughs> and do you have any hypotheses as to why that might be? One thing we do find out there is we, we find a lot of caches of decapitated beetle heads. We tend to find really big beetle heads when we do find them in caches. And uh, it might be that the rats actually prefer the really large beetles because they move very slowly, they're an easy prey source, and some of them can be four centimeters long, and that's a lot of food. And so we think that they might be potentially targeting the larger males. So yeah, that's unfortunately part of what I'm looking at is to see how these beetles interact um, in their environment and especially with like novel predators like rats. As almost everyone in New Zealand probably knows, a lot of native animals don't have any defenses against introduced predators and beetles are no exception to that rule. Why do this? You've just finished up an extensive field season involving looking for beetles in Rakiura, in Milford Sound, on the west coast. It's a lot of work to go looking for these beetles. What questions are you trying to answer? Well, not many people know anything about these beetles. Like, why I do it is because I, I love insects and I love beetles. But uh, we also need to have these beetles in our environment because they do help to degrade things like wood, which are very slow to degrade. They, we do need them for nutrient transfer. A lot of birds eat them as well. They are an important part of the ecosystem. As well as getting some basic info on Geodorcus helmsi, Luna also hopes that by studying their mating behaviours and trying to keep them here, she might be able to help the plight of some of the other Geodorcus species. Geodorcus is a genus of 10 species, and most of those species are restricted to very small islands or the very tops of mountains and can't really move down into different areas. As a result, uh, a lot of these beetles are very vulnerable to habitat destruction. A few of the species are actually considered critically threatened, which makes the whole genus critically threatened. And um, one species has actually not been found since the last time they looked for it, um, which was in 2019. And they made a whole New Zealand Geographic article about this. What Luna is referring to here is the Mokohinao stag beetle, Geodorcus ethagonus. Its habitat had been reduced to one tiny rocky area less than an acre. Dubstack H, it's found in the Mokohinao Islands, 100 kilometers northeast of Auckland. In 2019, an extensive search of the area found no living beetles. But because they could spend a lot of time in the larval stage, there's still a little bit of hope that they're not yet extinct. These beetles do live in quite different ecosystems. So it's hard to know just how much the study of Geodorcus helmsi will translate into useful information about Geodorcus ethagonus. But if they are found again, Luna hopes her work will help. No one really knows how to conserve these beetles because you can't really 
take these really critically threatened beetles and put them into a into a study like this, um, where we're doing trial and error to see if there's any laboratory settings where we could rear these beetles. So this really widespread beetle is actually an amazing thing because we can use it as a proxy to study these other really, really critically threatened beetles. So Luna will be keeping a close eye on these beetles in the tanks, hoping they survive and thrive. One thing that we are looking for is to see if they start mating, if they start doing natural behaviors, if they start doing, uh, if they start laying eggs and um, larvae start appearing. That's the stuff that we really are looking for now. And that's the stuff that will help us identify if this is a good setup or if this is a bad setup. They're yet another of Aotearoa's native underdogs. Little known, but battling and losing to predators and habitat loss. And while we all have a part to play, it is nice to know that they have people in their corner willing to spend many sleepless nights trying to help. Ooh, that's a good female. Oh, so chunky too. Something that a lot of people don't know is that these beetles actually have a very fine little hairs all over their body. So, but then they're kind of go, oh, found another one. Oh. And yeah, they have like little golden hairs all over their body. So in the right light, they look kind of like they are etched with gold. Which is how they appear in my heart, you know? Thanks to Luna Thomas, Melita Bush, Sharon Milligan and Dr. Sherry Johnson, all of the zoology department at the University of Otago. This episode was produced by me, Claire Kincannon, with thanks to Justin Gregory for his editing help. The masterful sound engineering was by William Saunders and Tim Watkin is the executive producer of podcasts at RNZ. You can find and follow Our Changing World on your favourite podcast platform. And you can check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. Come and say hi. Speaking of predator-free, there's an amazing documentary film and podcast series that explores predator-free 2050 in Aotearoa on the RNZ website. It is a must-watch and or listen to if you haven't done so already. It's called fight for the wild. Find it under the podcast and series tab on the RNZ website. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai tō wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.